HR podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Gemma. And this is our second episode in our series where we're exploring data science and analytics. And we are once again joined by Neil Martin, who is a true expert and pioneer of the field. And in today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at what is happening today in business in relation to data and the growing importance of becoming data driven. And if you did happen to miss our last episode, which was the first in this series, when Neil filled us in on how it all began and his own journey with data science and Formula One, I would highly recommend going and having a listen to that. But for now, let's welcome back Neil. Hi, Neil. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for joining us again. For this, so this is uh, the second round. So uh, lovely to have you back with us. Let's get started. We talk a lot to businesses about making better data-led decisions. Uh, and I, I suppose that's why it's so interesting to hear your history as well, because you're coming in and making a organization question how they could be making better decisions, looking at data analytics in a, in a way that they, they haven't done before. Um, I suppose. So I suppose what's quite interesting is how do you feel that 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 process can be adopted to other types of organisations? Obviously, you came in this, uh, as you've described yourself, this, this this little maths geek that have come in and they go, "Well, this isn't a role we had before," and they've gone, "Oh, but he's got something." This is something that businesses are now trying to do, and I think it's fair to say that it's only the difference between trying to get somewhere without the data and failing is very different to going, well, actually, we don't know where we're going to get, but we should look at the data first and decide where we can go. And I think that's really interesting what you said, you know, F1 companies could make ventilators. That wasn't ever their original aim, but they had some data and analytics there that said, this is now an opportunity. How would you recommend businesses take this kind of way of thinking and start to look at what the future opportunities could be by looking at the data first rather than looking at the, what the end objective is to begin with. Yeah. I think fundamentally what you have to accept is data is the new currency. Hmm. And that underpins everything regardless of what business you're in. So if I'm in a business product X and I'm competing against Mr. Y, then actually if business Y starts using data analytics, then I'm going to start losing. So we can all pretend we're not in data analytics races and we can just hide under the duvet until, <laughs> until we lose and we work out why did we lose. Or we can actually say, do you know what? Actually, if you open and embrace data, if you embrace the unknowns, if you embrace the risk and you see what it can deliver for us, then we can probably do it better. Now, one of the things I come across in businesses is they go, oh, this is a really complex problem. You won't possibly be able to solve it. But I'm not here to get to your end goal. I'm here to get you one step better than today. Because if I'm getting you one step better than today, then you're doing it better mm -hmm. and therefore more efficiently or more profitability results. So this is the whole thing going back to my, if you like, educational training of operational research. It's the science of doing it better. So our tool for that is data. A lot of companies we deal with now have tons of data. It's not aligned. It's not in a useful state a lot of the time. Some of the core variables are, but some people come up with variables that need recording, and then they move on. But because they didn't have a proper data dictionary, no one knows what those variables are, but they're still being recorded as zombie variables in a mm -hmm. system somewhere. And then others come in and go, oh, what, what does that variable mean? Oh, don't know. The guy who left used to do that, you know. <laughs> so what you have to do is record and treat data as an asset, record it properly, 
and then once you have a base, once you remove the pollution, then we can see what we've got and see how we can exploit it. Mm. So I guess it's not just the pure, the ones and zeros of the data. It's actually, it's like what you're talking about before about the knowledge as well and like supplanting the data with that knowledge in some form of, I guess, knowledge database Exactly. That new people coming in as well don't have to relearn for themselves. Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, if you, if you think in... Oh, well, let's go back to Formula One. Um, let's say for uh, safety, if you had to relearn every time there was a, mm. a person personnel change, we would have a lot more fatalities. But we have this corporate knowledge that we take forward with us. And for every type of business... You should be recording that because as businesses grow, the founders have all of that built up knowledge over decades. But what's their succession planning? What's their continuity planning? And the more this is teased out and recorded, the more you can actually replicate results through using process against that data. So it helps pass knowledge down through the generations. So... Working in marketing, I love a bit of data because what data does is it allows me to make decisions about what we're going to do for campaigns. or And, and I can go, and when people go, well, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, because look, because they, they're doing that, so I can do this, and that's why I want to do that. But um, there is a tendency, I feel, for businesses to be collecting data for data's sake because they can, so they want to just sit on it. What's the difference for you in between you know, just amassing data, like you say, and actually using data? There, there, there isn't one and the same, is it? There has to be a strategy behind that. Yeah, and, and, and dare I say, Excel is to blame here. <laughs> um, I, I think the thing is, um, we are maturing as a planet on what data is and how we use data. And there are some very good examples, well-known tech companies that exploit data in, from a purist point of view, not, not the best, but they do it in a very powerful way. But for mainstream companies, they collect a lot of data, they do their own spreadsheet to solve a single problem, but they don't take two paces back to say, could that help anyone else? Could it go into a bigger system? Could I exploit this better? And what you tend to find is little, it's federated development. So you see like your marketing group, you've got your marketing spreadsheets, and then everyone looks at your marketing spreadsheets and goes, that's great, and they add some more data to it. And then a year later, you've got this huge mass of data which is only known to marketing. It might be useful to everyone else, but who knows, because you haven't shared it because it was just your little project mm. in your little Excel sheet. And I think it's how do you join those little federated dollops of data around your company together? Does it give better insight across your entire business? I couldn't possibly comment because I'm not guilty of that at all. Um, <laughs> but sure no, I completely agree. I think... Um, and that's what I, I, I was quite interested in what you were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, you're working in what sounds like a really close-knit team in the F1s and you're uh, in the F1 teams and you're all, all very open to this change in this journey. A lot of businesses have lots of different departments that are siloed in different ways and they can easily be perceived as gatekeepers of their own information. So in order to adopt a better process for data application or processes, is it a, is it a, a case of un-gatekeeping that data? Is, that a case, is there an internal communication element there that people need to consider? Yeah, I mean, communication is key. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all humans and we need to communicate. And what we find is the working in silos thing is a common theme. You know, it used to be a few decades ago, information is power, <laughs> and therefore you would, you would hold on to it. I, I think now, if you... 
there's a couple of culture things you need to embrace. If you want to become a high-performing team, you have to have also psychological safety in, in, in your business. So if, for example, you have your own spreadsheet and you can say, oh, I made a mistake, oh, I'll bury that in the numbers. Now, that is low psychological safety because you're not in a position where you want to raise your hand and say, I made a mistake. And secondly, you've buried the figure. It's not transparent. Whereas what you find in the top Formula One teams is they're high-performing teams and everyone takes responsibility. Because we're running on data, there's nowhere to hide. So you might as well admit your error sooner rather than someone else points it out mm. across the data. So I think it's, it is a huge thing on culture change and how your businesses actually interact. And, and that's almost a bigger thing than technology. I would I'd probably mm. put them on equal footing because, you know, you bring some new tools in. And like you say, if you've got a gatekeeper of data who's a little, shall we say, cards close to the chest, not willing to share, then that's not going to work. Doesn't matter what tool you've got. So you, you need to change the culture to be a high performing team. And if you use data as the unbiased currency to decide the best way to go, who wouldn't want a better result? So it also comes back to your objective function. If you've got a clear objective function that you're all working to, you'll work to the objective function before your personal infighting between lower departments. I think some bigger organisations have... I don't know, budgetary, I want to cleat this budget, therefore if I don't share this information or if I push this project through, then I can hold on to a bigger budget. Well, actually, what are you actually working for? I, I would like six people in my team, not three people. Well, is that best for the company or not? Is that best for you? So I think by putting, putting your cards on the table is what doing data analytics properly does, and it allows the people controlling the company to actually have full transparency. Mm. And I think that allows you to make better decisions. I was going to ask the question as well, is there such a thing as bad data? Because to me, from my, and the experience that I've had in terms of trying to communicate you know, what X and Y m might mean for us and the decisions we go with, actually, it isn't bad data. It's just what we're trying to do with it. Sometimes mm. we hide behind the fact that it's not the data we want. But surely there's always an opportunity to go, well, actually, it's not what we expected, but that just means there's another opportunity here. So, you know, would you recommend businesses are a bit more open to what they're reporting and, and, and what they're finding rather than trying to sway the results in one direction? Yeah, I, I think there's always pressure for any individual in a role um, to deliver, I don't know, return on investment or margin, you know. There are parameters that an individual has because that's their role, and that sometimes does conflict with the higher goal. So, I mean, for example, in Formula One, um, in one of the departments, one of the teams I worked in, we did the analytics as a side department that reported directly into the top, and that allowed us full access to all departments to analyze them in an unbiased way. Because let's, for, for example, let's say I'm a junior aerodynamicist and I'm in the aero team and I'm told to find what the problem is because we're not performing. And my analysis shows that actually it's everything my head of department has been doing is actually at fault. Now, that's fairly career limiting if mm. I go through the hierarchy and I go to my team leader <laughs> and say, uh, it's our boss's boss who's done it all wrong. So then that junior 
engineer might be under pressure to soften the words mm. or even not say them. Whereas if you're in a high performing team and you've made the culture such that that person can just say what the results say, then actually you can come up with better results mm. all the way around throughout the company. I guess that is the beauty of data and being making those evidence-based and data-based decisions rather than just relying on, you know, experience and gut feel. And whilst that is important, that does bias people, as you've mentioned it before, and it can ne- quite significantly negatively bias decision-making in the future going forwards as well. Yeah. I mean, you, what you need, the ultimate goal is if you align the individual's you know the humans the personnel are your most important asset because they make everything happen but their goals need to be aligned with the company goals otherwise you're going to get local optimizations so if my department outperforms yours i get better bonuses well actually you might do things for that because you want to pay off your mortgage quicker or something Mm. whereas actually why are you in that role you're in that role for the company can you be selfless? If not, we need to divine a system mm. and devise a system which allows your objective to be correctly aligned with the companies. It's just all about pulling to forward together, really, then, isn't it? Just in in, in a one liner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How would you say um, the use of data analytics and, and data science has helped impact business planning decisions? Um, I know we talked earlier uh, previously about this, but. You know, how do you how would you say you could use data better to kind of inform your next strategy rather than looking backwards? Yeah, that, that's exactly. I think you've almost half answered the question there. I, I think in the olden days, shall we say, when I started my career, there was a lot of reporting. This is what we did last year. This is what we did the last quarter. And it was very backward looking and, oh, we're going to work harder. Uh, you know, is anyone actually not working hard? Um, so we then went through an evolution of saying, let's do some forecasting, which is, you know, your Excel trend line, linear projections going forward. And then we embraced modeling. And that, that's where I kind of came in is to say, if you can understand the system and, and write a mathematical model of how it behaves. So you're creating the digital twin of real life. Then I can add three more people in this department or add 10 million more to this budget and I can model the likely outcomes of how that's going to happen and what that's going to look like with a confidence interval. So I think if you move into modeling, then it becomes very powerful. So if you, uh, a Formula One example, in 2003, the first race of the season, all of the rules changed uh, such that you had to qualify in the race with the fuel you were going to take into the first stint of the race. So we updated our models at McLaren such that a week before we actually took off for the race, I warned the CEO and team principal, Ron Dennis, that we might have to pit on lap one of the race. Now, for those of you aware of F1, pitting on lap one would normally be suicide. But our models clearly showed that for the various reasons which are beyond the scope of this podcast... um, Pitting on lap one if you didn't qualify on the front two rows and safety car risks and all sorts was the right thing to do. Um, we pitted on 11th and four, sorry, we qualified 11th and 14th. We pitted on the formation lap, which is the lap before you start the race and lap three of the race, and we finished one three. Now, if the other teams had updated their models, we wouldn't have been able to do that. 
So it showed because we've gone into the modeling world, we could see things that just linear uh, projections couldn't. So understanding your data going into the digital twin, leaning into it, will give you surprising answers. But you need to understand and validate those answers. You can't just follow the numbers because the other thing we haven't really talked about is pollution. Data does contain pollution. So if my model wasn't correct, that could have been the end of my career back in 2003, pitting the cars that early. However, it was uh, one of the uh, poster boys, as it turned out. <laughs> And I guess talking about that kind of data pollution side of things that you just touched on there as well, like we were talking, or Andy, you mentioned earlier about how companies now, I think we've got very good at amassing data, amassing lots of data. We've, we know that we need the data and we need it so we can analyze it and we can model or do whatever. But, you know, if we do have that pollution, how important is that kind of cleansing of data for companies, would you say? Ultimately important. I mean, the, the old garbage in, garbage out uh, mm. in, in, a, in a line holds. And this was one of the frictions, actually, in adoption of, of my techniques, is that the people at the top of the organization would want to know how absolutely fast each of the individual cars were in each and every race. And I'd say, well, I can only tell you the speed of these 10 cars because the others were in traffic, they were held up, they were yeah. this, they were that. So when you teased out all the variables out of 20 cars, you could probably tell the speed of 10 of them, maybe 50% attrition rate. Mm. And I would, after every race, get summoned, have the debate <laughs> of, well, we know they're this quick. And it's like, well, no, if I put that car in there, it's then become just a picture it's no longer data analysis because it's based on your view. Mm. You may be right, you may be wrong. But if we want to understand the data, we have to throw away, in, in this instance, around 50% of the data. And I think what that did is over time, we glued those 50% at each and every race together. By about race four or race five, we had true data on all cars because you got the data from different cars at different mm. races. Whereas if we'd started polluting the data to satisfy, shall we say, the owners and bill payers <laughs> by just putting in more pictures, that would have polluted our data set. So whilst we'd have got the amp, sorry, we'd have got the numbers out mm. quicker, they might not have been as accurate. In fact, they wouldn't have been as accurate, no. which is why... And I guess that's I, just going to be detrimental to the whole team going forwards then, really, isn't it? Indeed. And I mean, it comes from a good place. People want answers. They want to know what's happening with their business. Um, but sometimes it's braver and this comes back to psychological safety you know i'm a 20 year old kid saying to the team owner sorry <laughs> not doing it can't do it i mean i don't know if it was young naivety or, or something <laughs> else but or stubbornness but the the reality is mclaren you know they embraced all of this and they understood it and they were like okay fine so i mean that that's the power is if your organization is accepting of change mm. the only constant these days is change and change is getting quicker that you know yeah. so you can either jump on the train and keep up or you will suddenly you'll be fine for a while and then all of a sudden when someone in your industry picks up the data and runs with it you will wonder what's happened you will get left behind very yeah. quickly well would i you, think sorry Sorry, I was just going to say something we've touched on a lot in our podcast coming back kind of into full time work after the pandemic is this piece about change and how pretty much every topic that we touch on 
people going through that change and you know you mentioned f1 starting their digital transformation 30 years ago but lots of companies actually the pandemic was their trigger for that digital transformation so it is um i think just really important actually to see how what f1 have done and the history of that for companies who are kind of actually quite new at going into this now even though we think you know as a technology company ourselves here at mhr you know, we've been doing our transformation for decades, but there are a lot of companies where this is actually going to be quite fresh and new to them. So I think hearing these little insights actually will be quite an eye-opener. Yeah, I, what, what we're saying is as technology becomes more available to everyone, that is the enabler for most businesses to jump on board. I think also, though, care has to be taken when you're jumping on board because you don't just want to tra- jump on any train. You want to jump mm-hmm. on a train with the, the right destination. And I think that is where the skill lies, is understanding your business, understanding what data is appropriate, because a lot of people have great intentions. I mean, really do. And they will measure things they think are absolutely important, but they may not be. And until you've actually done the analytics, you don't know if you're recording the right thing either. Mm. So you have to self-test the data to make sure it's the appropriate measure. Um, so we did a lot of learning, as you said. We started decades ago. And I think that is the key thing is don't get whipped up in the marketing frenzy. Pause. Treat it as a standalone project. Break it down into demonstrable, measurable things. So if you can ring fence an area of your business to prototype this on, once you've done that and demonstrated the advantages you said it would deliver, then confidence grows. Momentum grows. Once you've got it in that area, you can take it to another area and another department. And before you know it, your entire company will be data-driven. And I think that's the thing. Don't try and, um, if I can quote Ron Dennis, actually, when we were in a corner, is like, the only way to eat a big white elephant is one mouthful at a time. <laughs> and I, I think it, it, it does hold true. Mm. Don't try and hit a home run. Take a small measurable part. Put your algorithms against it. Test they work. Once you're happy, once everyone's comfortable, take the next baby step. And I I think it's a baby step exercise. Mm. I think you might have a plan for the entire business and you should have a plan for the entire business, but don't try and do it all at once. Yeah. So this could get quite granular now, but I think we're kind of stuck in the weeds of it and that's a good thing. I think, so baby steps going forward, say there was a business that arguably you could say they're always in a form of digital transformation. It's just a, a matter of how much they have the need, the, you know, they feel the need to actually want to adopt that change and then they can really harness this. Step one, project one, how would a business introduce that? Who, what are the, what are the teams that should be taking those first steps into kind of a, a data-driven journey? A little bit business dependent. Mm. Um, but I, I think what you have is for a given business, whatever the key selling point of that business is, they will have subject matter experts. If you go to any business and you just say, who are the three people you don't want to lose in the technical area or something, <laughs> you will know yeah. who the, the key people is in, in any department or any sub-department. And I think you need those subject matter experts. And then you need, if you like, people who understand the data, not necessarily the business. So I go into different businesses. I know nothing about their businesses, but I understand data. 
So I will talk to the subject matter experts and then on listening and understanding what they've got, I'll use my experience to say, why don't you concentrate on this area? Because I think I can demonstrate this. So if you like, the proposal is coming from a third party outside, but that actually gives it power because it's not a pet project of the business. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tangible that's, I have no benefit from suggesting that area other than it demonstrates an advantage. Whereas if tangentially, if you're inside the business, you might have had the pet project you wanted to push for 20 years. And then you go, oh, can't we apply this AI thing to this? And it's like, no, we can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been in a position as well where you know, maybe you've done a project and it, it, you're trying to open a business's eyes to a new direction they need to go in? And they've gone, no, that's com completely against what we believe in or that's not where we thought we should be going. And you've had to have kind of a difficult conversation on, well, why this is important for them to be mm. looking at this project. I, I think that's very true, um, especially when people have been doing things in the same way for a long time. People, people are proud of what they do. They're passionate about what they do. They love what they do. So if you were blunt and inappropriate and just mm. came in and said, oh, I think you're doing it all wrong, then you're going to get bounced fairly quickly. Um, what you tend to do is have the conversations about saying like, oh, have you considered this? Could we have a look at it in this way? And you, at the softest entry level, you say, can we check what you're doing is optimal? Can we provide decision support? We might be able, as step one, to tell you about things you haven't yet considered. So it's a decision support document. So then the subject, you're not interfering with their business, you're providing extra material that hopefully everything they know about will align and then you've got those extra bits and then if they're really into their subjects they'll get drawn to these extra bits and say oh well what, what's that then so, yeah. the door starts to open and then you can grow, grow into it so not only do you need to be a data analyst and scientist you need to be a diplomat is what we're saying because actually <laughs> at the end of the day the data's right we're going in the right direction if you do this anyway i can prove that whether you like it or not is how much i can convince you that this is the right thing for the business it, interestingly i mean you you said one of my nicknames before um in the in the earlier section um the new kid with the numbers was the other one <laughs> but crucially the the third one was i was the geek who could speak because it's communication is king. Mm. You know, a lot of people who are incredibly bright within lots of firms, they're very poor at communicating. And you find the people that are running the business have got the business to this level without analytics, without understanding the mass, without understanding the algorithms underneath. And they didn't need to up until now. And then you get in the people who understand all of these algorithms but actually, they're really poor at communicating it to the upper management and the C-suite. Mm. So, yes, absolutely. I, I'm the guy who sits in the middle as the geek who can speak. <laughs> that's a good title. I like it. it. Indeed. Um, I can speak, but I'm not a geek. So that's just basically words and no substance, So, <laughs> <laughs> which is why they put me on the podcast. And that brings us to the end of our second episode in this series on data science and another really interesting conversation. So as always, mm. thank you so much for joining us today, Neil. Thank you. 
And I think our listeners will find your insights thought-provoking and hopefully given them some food for thought, especially for those who are beginning their journeys in becoming data-driven organisations. But that's not everything. Neil will be back for the next and final episode in this series, where we will be concluding this discussion, looking to the future and what we can all learn from F1's digital transformation that began decades ago. So, tune in for next week for the final part of this trilogy special. But if you want to listen back to part uh, one from uh, previous week, please make sure you do. Interesting stuff. You can log on to our website, mhglobal.com, or find us on social media. That's enough for now, though. Thank you very much.